Mr. Chief Justice. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Our opinion next turns to the problem of what the judicial role should be. You have almost no rights in a traffic stop. Um, you know, the cop's going to win, um, and that's not necessarily the cop's fault. The game is rigged, especially with traffic stops. Um, if you're in a battle of which with a smart traffic cop, you're going to lose. This is Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. We all know the feeling. You're driving. Maybe you're speeding. Maybe you don't think you're doing anything wrong. All of a sudden, blue lights flash in your rearview mirror. Your stomach drops. You're pulled over. You roll down the window. And you wait. It happens millions of times a year in the U.S. It's part of life. It's frustrating. It's terrifying. And it's dangerous. People die in traffic stops, civilians and police. This past summer, Sandra Bland was stopped for changing lanes without signaling. The officer pulled her from the car and arrested her. Three days later, she committed suicide in her jail cell. Walter Scott was pulled over for a broken taillight and shot multiple times in the back as he ran. In August, an officer in Memphis was killed in a traffic stop, and in September, a cop in Phoenix was shot when he pulled a vehicle over. This week on Life of the Law, we dissect a traffic stop. How does it work? What can an officer legally do? And what are our rights? Ashley Cleek has the story. To train police officers how to conduct a traffic stop, academies across the country show recruits videos of officers being attacked and even murdered at traffic stops. Hi, Dave Smith of Police One, and I've got a reality training segment from the Oregon State Police. It's going to really get us thinking about how sometimes initial appearances can be quite deceiving, and that's why we always have our minds prepared no matter what's going to happen. In one, an officer pulls a man over for speeding. Sir, get back in the car for me now. Sir, the driver jumps out of the car and opens fire on the officer. and then speeds away. These videos are really hard to watch. They're basically dash cam snuff films. According to data from the FBI, in 2014, 51 officers were killed in the line of duty, 10 during a traffic stop. I've been doing this 11 years. I'm two months away from 11 years. And every time I make a traffic stop, the hair on the back of my neck stands up. Julian Robertson's a police officer in Birmingham, Alabama. He patrols a rough neighborhood in the north part of the city. Robertson's 46. He has a wife and six kids. Before becoming a cop, he was in the Army and the Coast Guard. Some weekends, he works security at one of the biggest clubs in the city. Some Sundays, he preaches at a local church. Imagine watching dozens of these videos and then trying to pull someone over. Robertson says the academy teaches officers to function somewhere between confident and paranoid. A traffic stop is the most dangerous thing we do. And the reason I say that is because you never know who you're pulling over. And we're trained to approach a vehicle like a crime is being committed. Three, one, go ahead. Hey, 
On this night, Robertson's cruising the streets of North Birmingham. I'm sitting in the front seat. Robertson's drinking a Red Bull, and we're listening to Luther Vandross sing Since I Lost My Baby on 98.7 KISS FM. We're stopped at an intersection. There's a black car across the street. This car ain't got no headlights on. The car passes us. Robertson pulls a quick U-turn and flips on his blue lights. Signal 54. 2829, that tag for me, please. 200, Driving at night without headlights is against the law. And so are a lot of other things. Once I became a police officer, I was amazed at what all you could write a ticket for. You can get stopped for pulling too far forward at a stop sign. No blinker. Crack tail light. Low tire tread. Worn out windshield wipers. Excessive muffler, muffler noise. Basically, the police can pull you over for just about anything. Ronald Rich knows this all too well. Sometimes they get behind you and you tense up, you clutch the steering wheel. This nervous feeling comes over you. Rich is a big guy, with sparkly studs in his ears, straight build baseball cap. He has five kids and works at a power company in Birmingham. The first time he was pulled over, Rich was 19 or 20. He lived with his mom in a bad neighborhood, and he was driving home in his first car, an 84 Cutlass Supreme. And you know, and he had little kinks and stuff to it. So I was driving it home, and police got behind me, and they pulled me over. The officer asked Rich for his license and registration. Rich handed them over. And he asked me to step out the car. I said, okay. The officer didn't immediately tell Rich why he was being pulled over. And legally, he didn't have to. In fact, police say they like to run driver's licenses to see if they have warrants before they debate a ticket. So Rich says he stepped out of the car, and the officer asked, He says any drugs or anything inside the vehicle. I said, no, sir, I don't do any of that type of stuff, no, sir, whatever, whatever. He said, okay, well, I'm going to put the handcuffs on you and sit you in the back of my car just for a minute. But his words were just for his own safety. This is also totally legal. Rich wasn't being arrested, just detained, until the officer could find out if there was a reason to arrest him. He got in the car, you know, searched and everything else, which I never gave him permission to search my car. You, I mean, you do have a right, by the way, to not consent to a search. That's Peter Moskos. Moskos is a professor of criminology at John Jay College, and for a year he was a beat cop in East Baltimore. Moskos explains that you can say no to a search, but if the officer has probable cause, like if he smells weed or sees an open can of beer, then he can legally search your car. So what the court has said time and time again is they don't want to read the mind of police officers. As long as the cops follow the rules, the Supreme Court said that's fine. In fact, in 1996, in a case called Wren versus the United States, the Supreme Court unanimously agreed that pretextual stops are illegal meaning police officers can pull people over on the pretext of looking for something else, like a stolen car, drugs, or guns. All they need is a reason. 
so yeah, the, you have almost no rights in a traffic stop. Um, you know, the cop's going to win. Um, and that's not necessarily the cop's fault. The game is rigged, especially with traffic stops. Um, if you're in a battle of wits with a smart traffic cop, you're going to lose. Rich did lose. He got two tickets, one for a bad taillight and the other for no insurance. In the past decade, Rich has been pulled over 15 times, never for speeding or running a red light, but for small stuff, possibly pretextual stuff. And every time he's gotten a ticket. There's no national data about how many traffic stops happen every year in America. But in Illinois, for example, in 2013, officers made over 2 million stops. That's about 5,500 traffic stops a day in one state. And remember, sometimes these stops turn deadly. Just this year, there was Samuel DuBose, who was shot and killed during a traffic stop in Ohio. He was pulled over for not having a front license plate. Okay, I'm going to ask you again. Do you have your license on? A few months later, a state trooper in Kentucky tried to pull someone over and was shot while sitting in his cruiser. There's a reason the hair on Robertson's neck stands up and Rich's palms get sweaty. So what if we just did away with some of the minor traffic stops? Yes, I can't say the word chicken shit on the radio. That's Professor Christopher Coots. Yeah, my name is Christopher Coots. I'm a professor of law in the Jurisprudence and Social Policy Program at Berkeley Law School at University of California, Berkeley. Coots wrote an editorial in the L.A. Times where he suggested we get rid of what police call chicken shit stops. That's when an officer pulls someone over for something insignificant. Pretextual stops, they're not signaling before you pull out, pull out if there's no traffic coming. Uh, the Sandra Bland type stop where she was you know, stressed by the police car coming up behind her quickly and failed to signal. In the editorial, Coots argues that these traffic stops don't make driving safer. And he backs it up. Coots took data from the Justice Department and crunched the numbers. He says police in the U.S. make about three times more stops than police in Spain, France, or England. And yet the United States has almost double the number of fatal car crashes, meaning the roads aren't any safer. So instead of traffic stops for speeding, Coots suggests speed monitors, like in Spain or Italy. Instead of being pulled over for a broken taillight, routine vehicle inspections. Coots says this would be better for citizens. Communities of color might not feel so harassed. And police, because their job would be safer. I asked Officer Robertson about this. He explained that some departments would lose a lot of revenue, and smaller precincts need that money. Plus, he thinks routine traffic stops give officers a chance to interact with the community face-to-face in a positive way. People are nervous. I mean, citizens are nervous. They are nervous. When they see the police, they really don't know what's going to happen. I don't want to convey the boogeyman presence. You know, that's why I feel we have a responsibility to, you know, to, to mend relationships. Robertson's parked behind the car with no headlights. He gets out and goes up to the driver's window. He stands a little to the side in case the driver has a gun. By now, three other cop cars have shown up, so there are four sets of blue lights flashing. Robertson returns with the driver's license. I, I kind of smell alcohol a little bit, you know. Robertson says he didn't see any open cans or bottles, but still. 
Uh, now, I could pull him out the vehicle. And he says that would be legal. But it ain't that deep, you know. Robertson and another officer run a check on the driver. Black male, born in 1988, no warrants. But he does have a charge of attempted murder and first-degree assault. Now, if he has already had an attempted murder charge on him, and assault first, he probably don't like the police. So and now he, he has four cop cars behind exactly. him. Exactly. So his stress levels are to the roof. You know what I mean? But I'm gonna do a little healing today. I'm gonna do a little uh, <laughs> community relations, and maybe. His next conversation about the police won't be a bad one. So, I'll be back. Robertson walks back up to the car. They talk for a moment. It looks like Robertson laughs. Then he starts to back away from the car. The driver puts his hand out the window. Robertson steps forward and shakes it. For Life of the Law, I'm Ashley Cleek. And I'm Nancy Mullane. This episode of Life of the Law was reported by Ashley Cleek and edited by Jim Gates. Sound design by Jonathan Hirsch. Our engineer is Howard Gelman. Thanks to the Birmingham Police Department and Officer James Harrington at the Anniston Police Department for letting Life of the Law ride along. Life of the Law is a nonprofit project of the Tide Center, and we're part of the infinite guest network of podcasts from American Public Media. You can listen to all of our episodes, stories about the law and love, space, wolves, and diapers at infiniteguest.org, lifeofthelaw.org, iTunes, Stitcher, or on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to hear our Life of the Law stories on your local public radio station, give them a call and let them know they can get access to all of our productions at PRX, Public Radio Exchange. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by grants from the Open Society Foundations, the National Science Foundation, the Law and Society Association, and the Proteus Fund. Your valuable donations help us cover the cost of producing our stories. So take a minute or two and visit our website. There's a donate button on the top right corner. Next week on our sister podcast, Live Law. And my body will be like, nice, solid nap, feeling great. And I'll be like... Sorry, I passed out in the middle of your mother's funeral. That's next week on Live Law. And watch for notices about our upcoming Live Law show in Brooklyn at the Knitting Factory on November 3rd. I'm Nancy Mullane. Thanks for listening. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair. And we are the Mashup Americans. The Mashup Americans. <laughs> uh, think of us as your guide to the hyphen America world we live in. Are you first generation Korean American, married to a Colombian Mexican American, and making beige babies? Us too. Or do you speak three languages and eat Salvadoran pupusas at Shabbat? Is Spanglish your best language? That's me. <laughs> uh, Spanglish is definitely your best language. Yeah, it was kind of a problem in graduate school. <laughs> eh, don't worry about it. We're, we're done with that. So we've got a new show here on the awesome Infinite Guest Network. You can go search for Mashup Americans in your favorite podcast app and check it out. We've got a great story about the mashup life of Donald Trump. Oh, and I just went to Margaret Cho's house to Netflix and chill. Kind of. <laughs> oh, my God. Vamos. Let's do this. As we like to say. 